Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Coach with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and I'm joined this week by my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. Hope you've had a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and or a Happy Kwanzaa. And Hal... We are already down to the final regular season weekend of the NFL's 100 season, and fittingly, we should expect some serious, serious drama given the immense uncertainty of multiple playoff spots this weekend. Yeah, we've got great matchups this week with teams jumping up and down. Uh, you know, so many spots open. It's going to be a massively exciting Week 17 here playing out on the field. Oh, it most certainly is, especially when you look at the AFC at that number six seed with the Titans, Steelers, and Raiders still in contention for it, or the NFC where those first three spots are wide open and up for grabs. Exactly. Teams with a chance to concede still, depending on how these scenarios play out in Week 17, it's absolutely amazing there to think that Seattle or San Francisco, one of those deserving teams, could end up going on the road as a wild card. Oh, and that brings us to our Week 16 takeaways, and uh, I'll go first here. In my opinion, the five best teams in the NFL right now, you got the Ravens, the 49ers, the Chiefs, the Saints, and the Patriots. Yet there is a very, very good chance that three of those teams will have to be playing on wild card weekend as opposed to watching it in the comfort of their living rooms. And this tells me there's also a stronger than usual chance that we will see multiple road teams prevail in the divisional round and perhaps the conference championships too, unlike in recent years past. That's a great point, David. And, you know, one of the things I took away from week 16 as well was the Buffalo Bills and that strong defense. Even though the Patriots look back and think I think Buffalo is a team that nobody wants to have to match up against uh, in the first round of the wild card. And I think that's going to have Kansas City and Houston both, uh, even while they're trying to rest players, going full speed for a win here because they don't want to end up having Buffalo come to town. Oh, that is a very good point. And both of those teams are facing uh, some uh, interesting decisions. Uh, well, especially the Texans, but uh, the Chiefs as well, although the Chiefs are still uh, in contention for that first round bye, the Texans are not. So that kind of justifies why Bill O'Brien is thinking the way uh, he is. And were there any other things you took away from Week 16? Well, I mean, uh, boy, I, uh, the wreck that is the uh, <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, I would not want to be Jason Garrett in these coming weeks here. I mean, just so much talent on one team to fall flat on their face like they did against the Philadelphia Eagles. That was just mind-blowing. And the uncertainty of what happens and how much Russell Wilson can actually do to carry a team with the Arizona Cardinals coming on strong here and uh, looking like a potential force to be reckoned with in the coming years to an already strong NFC West. Uh, but that shocking upset of the Seattle Seahawks last week was a huge eye-opener. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned the Arizona Cardinals because that takes us to our favorite game. It's called Truth or Exaggeration, and the Arizona Cardinals are the subject of our first topic here. Of all the teams who finished in last place in their respective divisions this season, the Arizona Cardinals are the one in best position to take a sizable leap forward in 2020. Truth or exaggeration? You know, it... Everything points to yes, except 
they still have to play the Rams twice, the Seahawks twice, and the 49ers twice. And that is probably the strongest division in the NFL, probably the strongest division in years is that NFC West. There's just so much talent in that one division crammed into those four teams. But, um, yes, I think, you know, the, the Chargers have peaked and are trending downward. Jacksonville, Cincinnati's a mess. Miami's a mess. Washington's a mess. Uh, I could make a case for Detroit saying they've had some close losses and they seem to be on track for building in the right direction. Carolina, another team, they got to find a quarterback. they got to figure out what they're doing. But, yeah, I'm going to go with the truth on this one. Despite the uh, difficult division, Arizona is definitely, in my mind, trending upward. And you mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Bengals, uh, despite their miraculous callback attempt in Miami, they officially clinched the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft and are already on the clock. And unless he gets seriously injured in the college football playoff, the Cincinnati Bagels should put Joe Burrow's name in Sharpie on their draft card with the first overall pick almost immediately sometime next month. Yeah, I, I, I say that has to be a truth. I mean, there's a team that's begging for a quarterback. He's got an offensive-minded coach in Zach Taylor. Andy Dalton is on his way down. Ryan Finley has shown he is not the answer. Um, Burrow is far and away the top quarterback in this draft. I mean, the, I, I just can't see them passing on Burrow at this point with such a need at quarterback. Yes, Chase Young is a great defensive prospect, um, but you cannot pass on Burrow with that number one. If I was in Cincinnati, I would be, uh, you know, calling the league and saying, you know, when can I stop? Well, how long can I work him out for? Can I keep him here for three weeks in the process here uh, without getting any uh, problems with the league in order to get my coaches around as much as possible before the draft? Yes, and plus he's an Ohio kid, originally from Southeast Ohio. He'll be returning to his home state, and I think that adds to the many reasons why the Bengals should start talking contract with him even before the draft. I think that's a great point as well, David. Get him in early. Get him learning the, the system and the uh, offensive playbook under Zach Taylor. And having a local kid, Cincinnati is one of the few teams in the league that might need that little boost to get the attendance in as well and, and sell out the stadium and start selling some season tickets before the season starts. So it's a win-win-win, it looks like, with Burrow. Um, but, you know, it is the Bengals, so we've seen them screw up lots of things in the past. It's uh, <laughs> it's one you've got to hold your breath anytime we're talking about the Bengals, so. Totally. And uh, now uh, moving on to a topic that's been discussed uh, on Twitter a lot of these days, uh, because we are approaching the end of another decade of professional football and what a decade the 2010s were. And a lot of uh, guys have been making lists of who their all decade team is. And I think it would be a scandal of monumental proportions if Chandler Jones does not make the NFL all decade team of the 2010s when all is said and done. Truth or exaggeration? That is a tough one. And um, from somebody that watched, what, every game he played his first four seasons in the uh, NFL with the Patriots, um, a big part of a championship team and has 
really, you know, um, flourished in the desert as well, uh, getting out to Arizona and unleashing his past potential. It's very hard at one on one hand to to say that you know you've absolutely got to include Chandler Jones, but you know I, you start looking at it and you're going, well, you know, for the tens, yeah, I absolutely the slam dunk is going to be Von Miller, and then from there it's very very difficult because there are so many great pass rushers in the NFL, and and who do you squeeze onto that all decade team? I'm going to say it's a little bit of an exaggeration, and the big reason for that is uh, Chandler Jones, one, with Arizona, has not been able to uh, get those prime time and playoff appearances um, to get into that national conversation. And number two, um, one of the few things that you can complain about him in his time in New England is when the lights were the brightest, Chandler Jones was not really one of those players stepping up and making those big plays in the playoff games and in the Super Bowls. I think he had one sack in eight or nine playoff games, probably more than that in his time in New England. So I'm going to lean to the exaggeration on that one. Yeah, that's a very, very fair argument. But this decade has been the decade for pass rushers. Von Miller, J.J. Watt, Khalil Mack, Chandler Jones, Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, you name it, this has been a decade of dominant pass rushers, and I think uh, Chase Young has the potential to start the 2020s off with another. Oh, definitely so. I mean, I mean, here's somebody, um, you know, fits the mold of um, the, the two Boses who have been, when we talk about the pass rushers, we can't oh, yeah. forget the Bosa brothers as well. And uh, let's throw the other Watt in there as well, T.J. Watt, who's having a heck of a season in Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and Chase may be better than, better than the Boses, maybe the best that we've seen, um, you know, better than Garrett. Who knows? It, it, it's a, he's a fascinating prospect and I'm sure he'll be under the microscope in the weeks to come. Um, but, but yeah, he could be the best of the bunch. It's a very exciting, uh, exciting draft and, and a team's position for that number two overall pick. And you ought to have him in their eye. Absolutely. Whoever is picking number two, write Chase Young no matter what on your card until you're on the clock, folks. That's what you got to do. And uh, let's talk about some games this weekend. The Vikings and Ravens are locked into their playoff seats and have nothing left to play for, so they are resting their starters and many of their key players. But the Texans and the Bills, on the other hand, even though they have nothing to play for in playoff seat-wise, maybe the Texans a little bit, but not that much. They're not going to get a bye. Uh, they are looking to uh, play to win on Sunday. So, truth or exaggeration, the Texans and Bills should follow the lead of the Vikings and Ravens and rest their key players on Sunday for the playoffs. Truth or exaggeration? You know, um, I'm going to go with a little bit, go with the, the, boy, I don't know. Can I do a half and half? <laughs> yes, you can. I, all right. So, I'm going to say half and half because I think if those teams have, more a two touchdown or more lead at halftime, they should start benching their starters at that point, but they should play them the first half because um, to, to keep them, to keep that momentum going, um, number one, two, Houston still has a chance to, to move up to the number three and get away from Buffalo um, if for some reason 
the Chiefs falter against the Chargers, which I really don't see happening, but it is the NFL and anything can happen on any given Sunday. So Houston play a little bit of scoreboard watching and, and once Kansas City goes up by uh, two touchdowns over the Chargers, then you can start benching all of your starters. Well, uh, the Chiefs play earlier in the day, so uh, they're going to know the outcome oh, of that oh, game when they kick off. Oh, that's right. I, sorry, I forgot Houston, Tennessee's the, the, yeah, the afternoon game there, 3-30, So, yeah, so Houston, watch, the, watch what the Chiefs do, and if the Chiefs win, I think Houston, by that point, yeah, you're, yeah, you don't have any skin in the game with Tennessee either. I don't think they really care if Tennessee gets wiped out by Kansas City or if they leave that for Pittsburgh or Oakland or whoever sneaks into that sixth seed. So Houston, if Kansas City wins, bench everybody. Buffalo, um, boy, you know, again, I I wouldn't want to – I would want to have a little bit of momentum that offense have a great game last week. The defense was on its heels against the Patriots. Give them a half to go in and beat up on the Jets and dominate and go into uh, the wild card round feeling good about themselves. And last but not least, Michael Thomas has put together one of the most historic seasons for a wide receiver ever. Last Sunday, he set the single-season reception record, and he now sits at 145 and counting, breaking the record previously held by Marvin Harrison of 143 in 2002. And when you look at Michael Thomas, this was a guy who slid all the way to the middle of the second round, and here are some of the wide receivers drafted before him. Will Fuller, uh, who has been good when he's available, but he, he rarely stays healthy. Josh Doxson, all-out bust. Laquan Treadwell, oh. all-out bust. So all those guys oh. picked in the first round ahead of Michael Thomas, and the main reason why I think he slid, he ran a 4.57 in the 40. Thus, Michael Thomas's historic season and the potential Hall of Fame career, dare I say, he's starting to put together should be the ultimate warning to NFL teams to not make the 40-yard dash the end-all, be-all for wide receiver evaluations. Truth or exaggeration? That is an absolute truth. I mean, I I thought the NFL was past all of that when uh, Ted Ginn Jr. was drafted, but apparently, you know, they just keep falling in love with these sub four four wide receivers, and there's so much more to that position than straight line speed, especially in this day and age. As the offensive systems get more and more complex in the passing game, there's more and more that goes into that wide receiver position than that pure speed. And as we've seen with Michael Thomas and countless other wide receivers, um, just think Antonio Brown. Hopefully he's back on the field soon somewhere. Um, in the, but another receiver who didn't have that great straight line speed, but um, like Michael Thomas shows that that is only a very small part of the equation when grading a wide receiver. So hopefully we'll see in the future that diminishes that importance and just becomes something for uh, the national sports writers to talk about and write about in uh during the combine and the the teams themselves start looking past that and uh focusing more on what these receivers can do other than uh running without pads on 
Oh, absolutely. And this year's wide receiver draft class, which could be uh, legendary, at least potentially, uh, this provides the NFL with a golden opportunity to uh, buck conventional wisdom and not let these guys fall. Like CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma, who could be the best wide receiver in this class on several boards around the league. Uh, he's probably going to run a 4-5. And if you let him uh, fall past the top 11, I think you're going to be very sorry. I agree with that as well. I mean, I, I'm tell, we talked about Arizona earlier. Is C.D. Lamb coming out of Oklahoma? You've already got Kyla Murray. I mean, uh, he shouldn't drop past nine as far as I'm concerned. Oh, he absolutely shouldn't. It would be a reunion in football heaven uh, for uh, uh, C.D. Lamb to go to Arizona to team up with his former Oklahoma quarterback, Kyler Murray. And now let's focus on one of the big events coming up in the NFL it's uh, just uh, 24 hours from kickoff on Sunday, Black Monday, and the coaching carousel in which uh, teams uh, will fire their head coach or some assistant coaches and search for new coaches to take their place. It's one of the roughest days of the season on the NFL calendar, and we're going to break down some of the team situations in depth. But let's start out with one of the vacancies of the Redskins. The Redskins, yes, they fired Jay Gruden early in the season, and the word has it that Bill Callahan will not be retained to become the permanent head coach. And two names that have popped up based on numerous reports I've read for that head coaching vacancy are Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, and get this, as Albert Breer and others have reported, uh, former Panthers head coach Ron Rivera. Which one of those two do you think is the better hire? Ooh, that is an interesting uh, combination. I mean, Ron, Riverboat Ron, we all know now, I think his, he would play very well in the NFC East um, with Washington. Um, however, when, you, when you're looking at Washington, has already made that first-round draft pick investment in a quarterback. Um, you know, uh, you know, with Dwayne Haskins there, I think you you have to lean for that um, offensive mind. And we've seen Kansas City, Eric Bieniemy come up from the ground floor in that Andy Reid offense. We know what Andy Reid and his disciples can do with young quarterbacks. If I'm Washington, it would be very, very hard not to lean towards uh, Eric sleeping with Bieniemy there and put him in as head coach of the Washington Redskins and build that team around Dwayne Haskins. Uh, yes, many around the league believe Snyder will eventually lean in that direction, but uh, another reason why he may lean uh, towards Eric Bietabi is because if I'm Ron Rivera, I'm not sure I want to work for Daniel Snyder. Would you take the job if offered? Because uh, Daniel Snyder is way too meddlesome for my taste. Well, I agree. That's, you know, when you talk Daniel Snyder and, um, and you know, talking about Jerry Jones, it, it's hard to the rate which one is, you know, the most meddlesome. It seems to go uh, back and forth each year on that. And that does make it, you know, you do need a special breed of coach to be able to put up with that. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, Jay Gruden, what a saint he was to put up with it for so long in Washington. And, yeah, I mean, if I'm Washington, I would want Eric the enemy. But if I'm Eric the enemy, I would be very deliberate and weighing all of my offers and giving every team a chance to reach out and wine and dine to give me as many options as possible. Because, like you said, Dan Snyder has not ha does not have a great track record with head coaches uh, in Washington. 
Oh, no, he doesn't, and uh, Ron Rivera should do the exact same thing because this is Daniel Snyder, who, in my opinion, is at least one of the two worst owners in all of pro sports, period. He and James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks, in my opinion, are the two worst owners in pro sports. They have taken once proud franchises to the dumps, and they're not getting out of those dumps as long as those two guys remain in charge. Amen, David. Amen. And now we go to the Redskins division rival, the New York Giants, where Pat Shermer is on a very, very hot seat. But Daniel Jones' development, especially uh, throughout the most recent weeks and throughout the season, uh, gives uh, should give some sense of encouragement to Giants fans. So should they fire Pat Shermer, or is it a better idea to uh, warrant some continuity and retain him given the progress Daniel Jones has shown? Yeah, that's... That is a tough call there. Um, earlier in the season, it looked like a slam dunk that Shermer was two and done in New York. But, yeah, like you said, Steely Dan has been playing very, very well in that development. I mean, that's part of why they brought in Pat Shermer is his ability to work with quarterbacks after he had done so well in Minnesota as the offensive coordinator and his time in Philadelphia before that, I mean, I think at this point, if, I, if I'm the Giants, I think you have to give Shermer one more year and, you know, develop Daniel Jones and get that system going. And then if this is another 4-12, 5-11, 6-10 mess there, um, then at that point you've got to – then you've got to start looking about blowing up that operation. But I think he gets one more year here with the development and, and promise that Jones has shown so far in 2019. Oh, totally. And uh, plus, uh, given the lack of talent the Giants had on this roster to begin the season, uh, not all of it is is on Pat Shermer. I think John Mayer has to take a look in the mirror himself because uh, the Giants uh, have run stale uh, as an organization. And I think this is more an organizational failure as well as a coaching failure. Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, at the same time, I think we he's got to be looking at, at Dave Gettleman there and is he picking the right players um, for this Giants team because he's had some questionable signings and moves so far uh, as general manager that, you know, kind of crawl um, his position into question as well. Absolutely. Dave Gettleman's also on an equally hot seat, arguably, in New York. And now let's go to the Falcons, who today announced that head coach Dad Quinn and GM Thomas Dimitrov will return for the 2020 season. Was it the right decision or wrong decision for them to retain those guys? You know, Atlanta's one of those teams that it's, it's looking like they may have one shot left. I mean, you're looking... Matt Ryan's going to be 35 next year. As hard as that is to believe, Julio Jones is on the wrong side of 30. Um, you know, there's a lot of question marks. Devonta Freeman is certainly showing the uh, this year as well. You're seeing the tread on the tires at running back. You know, this is a team that may have one last hurrah built into them. And if you're going to put it all into one season here and then blow things up afterwards, and definitely bring them both back for this season. If you want to get a head start on the rebuilding effort, you know, uh, perhaps see what you can get for Matt Ryan and uh, Julio Jones start rebuilding. Then, yes, blow it up and have bring some in some fresh ideas and fresh minds to rebuild this team. But I think that 
Atlanta's going to go for one more last gasp with this core, and uh, we'll see next season what can happen. I mean, I, I thought for sure that they were done, but they came back and, uh, you know, basically, what, were they, what are they, five and two since their bye week? I mean, I, they, they're playing for their coach. They want they they had a chance to to you know show that they wanted to keep him around and and Atlanta those players have certainly stood up and done that so I think Dan Quinn gets one more year um, with this team one last run uh, the Quinn Dimitrov team gets one more run and uh, if I'm Atlanta those players they better know they gotta they're gonna have to be you know there's no one in seven starts here allowed this is one last gap. It, it most certainly is, but another underrated factor why I think the Falcons uh, have gone 5-2 and two since they're by is that Dan Quinn uh, gave up the play calling on defense and gave it to uh, Raheem Morris, who's now uh, the new defensive coordinator there, and linebackers coach Jeff Ulbrich, and that worked wonders. And the fact that Dan Quinn was able to look in the mirror and improve himself uh, was definitely enough, in my taste, to give him another chance. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it takes a lot to be able to to step back and do that um, and give up that. I mean, because Dan Quinn, I mean, obviously you look at his resume, he built Atlanta into a Super Bowl team, those defenses that he was involved with Pete Carroll in Seattle beforehand. Um, he is a great defensive mind. There's no doubt about it. But as we've talked about in the past, you know, these head coaches, they're responsible for the whole team, not just one side of the ball. Most certainly, and uh, we go to Jacksonville now, where currently all sides point to both Doug Marone and GM Dave Caldwell surviving. They granted our wishes last week and fired Tom Coughlin, but do you think it's a mistake to keep both Marone and Dave Caldwell in the building? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think Caldwell's done well building this team back up. Um, Marone, boy, you know, it's, He's looking like, you know, he's really got that one-year wonder in Jacksonville. And after 2017, it's kind of, well, that team really hasn't hasn't come around. And, and talk about teams that are uh, in position to blow things up. I think Jacksonville should be thinking about, you know, a complete teardown and rebuild in that situation there. Um, you know, oh, totally. are you going to go with Jacksonville? Oh. Is it Minshew? Can you unload Foles? I mean, I don't know what this what this philosophy on this team is. The, the defense, the offense is, you know, a lot of young players in position there, but that defense is aging um, overnight, and there's a lot of big contracts on both sides of the ball. The, they've got a lot of decisions to make in Jacksonville, and if I was Shad Khan, I would be pulling this up and rebuilding it identifying my core and bringing in a new team to blow this up and rebuild. Oh, I would too, especially given the fact that the Jaguars are hamstrung against the cap right now. They're going to have to get rid of a lot of bad contracts this offseason. That is for sure. And they certainly have enough of them there. Um, you know, dead money, older players, uh, aging defense, uh, ineffective offensive players, overpaid already. They've got a lot of work to do to get this team turned around and you know 31 year old Nick Foles just does not seem like any kind of you know logical plan going forward 
Uh, no, he does not, and that's why I would not be surprised if Gardner Minshew is the starting quarterback for all 60 games next season unless they take another quarterback in round one. And if uh, Minshew fails, then they'll uh, be in prime position with uh, two first-round picks again in 2021 to trade up and potentially get Trevor Lawrence. Great position to be in, exactly. So, I, you know, like I said, for me, I would be, you know, kind of thinking ahead a little and saying, how do I get that number one, clear out the cap? That's how I'd be thinking. But either way, Jacksonville should be in prime position to be looking at that 2021 draft for quarterback. They most certainly should. And now we go to the Carolina Panthers, where Albert Breer reported today that the Panthers could be interested in Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. And we all know what happened the last time Josh McDaniels accepted a head coaching offer with the Indianapolis Colts. He turned it down, but that turned out to be a blessing in disguise, at least up to this point, as the Colts got an amazing football mind, an amazing leader in Frank Reich. But what do you think the Panthers have as an organization that could lure him away from the Patriots for good? Oh, that's easy. Number 22, Christian McCaffrey. You know, a running back who can run like he can and catch like he can. I mean, Josh McDaniels with Christian McCaffrey, what a combination. I mean, you think he's touching the ball a lot now? Uh, you know, 25 targets a game. He's going to be getting a lot more than that with Josh McDaniels uh, queuing up that offense and building it completely around him. I think that for McDaniels is a, uh, a definite a lure for him. You know, uh, Carolina's still on the East Coast. He's a, he seems very interested in staying in the, uh, on the East Coast area with his young family. That was a big concern with heading to the Midwest um, was a family concern. So Carolina might be just close enough for him. Um, and, you know, again, like I said, Christian McCaffrey has got to have him drooling thinking of what he could do with him. And not only Christian McCaffrey got a lot of intriguing young weapons on that offense, and DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, and uh, and get some more guys at this year's draft. Uh, that could be a very explosive offense for whoever lines up under center. Exactly, and and you know it's, it's for Josh McDaniels as well. You know the chance to get away, and and that second chance, he's got to look at you know everything that goes into that team, and you know walking into a defense that's got. Luke Keekley and, and Shaq Thompson already in place to, to build around with that unit as well and build that up. Um, that's not a bad base. And uh, even throwing Brian Burns there, the first-round pick this year. So there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball in Carolina that could uh, definitely be very appealing to Josh McDaniel and other head coaching candidates. Absolutely. A young team that has nowhere to go but up after this year, especially with a smart new owner in place in David Tepper. And now we talk about our game of the week, which is obviously the Sunday night game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks at Century League Field in Seattle. If the 49ers win, they not only win the NFC West, they get the number one playoff seed, thus home field advantage in the NFC. But if the Seahawks win, they get the number two or number three seed. And that likely means the Packers will get the number one seed in the NFC. So a lot riding inside and outside of this game, folks. It should be a great one. And as you alluded to early in the program, the Seahawks lost more than a game last week to the Cardinals. They lost running back Chris Carson to the season for hip injury. They lost running back C.J. Proceis for the season to a broken shoulder. And 
they also lost Rashad Petty for the season to a toward ACL a couple weeks earlier. That's why they brought in uh, Robert Turbin and Beast Mode himself, Marshawn Lynch, out of retirement for this uh, playoff run. But the Seahawks are also missing left tackle Dwayne Brown for this game. So just given how banged up these Seahawks are, will Russell Wilson likely have to play one of the five best games of his career to date in order for the Seahawks to win this game? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at, I've been looking at this game coming into this week, and you keep looking at it and saying, you know, Seattle, I mean, they just don't, I'm, they just don't have a chance. I mean, there's just not enough healthy bodies. There's not enough talent. Um, you know, Josh Gordon suspended at wide receiver as well. No Dwayne Brown. I mean, no running game, you know, and then you look at it and you say, well, if there's anybody that can pull off this kind of uh, upset, it, it's number three. It's going to be Russell Wilson. We've seen it time and time again. So hard to bet against Russell Wilson, but yeah, for Seattle, they're going to have to have a great game on defense. They're going to have to make it into a low scoring slugfest and hope that at the end of the game, it's two minutes to play. It's a close game and the ball's in the hands of Russell Wilson and he can make something happen for them. That's got to be their game plan going ahead. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he's probably going to have to be Superman as well to all those other guys stepping up, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think he, you're going to have to look at him as being the uh, running game and passing game, and that's something that Russell Wilson really hasn't had to take over that role in the running game. When we talk about mobile quarterbacks, yes, he's very mobile. Yes, he can run. He can hurt teams at times, but he hasn't had to have any of those games where 12, 15 carries and carry the entire load offensively. This might be one of those games. Oh, it definitely might be. And the 49ers, uh, they haven't been lucky on the injury front as well. If you look at the 49ers on offense, they are sorely missing. Center Weston Richburg, who they lost for the season in their win over the Saints a couple weeks back. Aaron Donald just ate uh, Ben Garland and that 49ers interior offensive line for lunch uh, last Saturday night. And if you look at the Seahawks defense, while uh, defensive tackles Jaron Reed and Puna Ford aren't Aaron Donald, those guys aren't slouches. They could ball. And are those two guys able of exposing the absence of Richburg almost as much as Aaron Donald did last week? Oh, I think so. I mean, you know, especially where, you know, it may not be as Donald affecting the passing game, but affecting that running game. And again, San Francisco is a team that, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo feeds off of the play action. And if they can't get, you know, that running game going with Raheem Mostert or Matt Breida or, even Kevin Coleman, if those guys can't get get that running game going and build up that play action, that offense does not move the football. And so that's going to be a huge concern for them is being able to get that running game off the ground with Ben Garland at center. Yep, that running game is going to be very, very important for the 49ers' chances uh, to win. And uh, But in the passing game, they're going to really, really have to step up their game in pass protection to neutralize those two interior rushers that uh, Seattle has. But let's not forget, Jadavion Clowney just went bonkers the last time these two teams met. But the 49ers said a backup right tackle then. Uh, so I think the Niners uh, this time with uh, Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley uh, back patrolling those, uh, those tackle spots uh, should do a better job this time, don't you? Oh, definitely. And I, I mean, I think it's, it's a testament to, um, you know, the 49ers coaching staff, what a great job they did 
with the, when McGlinchey and, and Staley were, you know, facing injuries earlier in the season and that offensive line was depleted and they were still able to, to lean on the defense and basically George Kittle to win those games there for a long stretch during the uh, regular season. And now you can just see the entire offense is, is so much better with McGlinchey and Staley set up there on the edges and just such a calming uh, presence there for that whole offense. And back to the Seahawks running game for a second. While they obviously uh, got Robert Turbin and Marshawn Lynch out of retirement, Pete Carroll made it pretty clear that the Seahawks will lean on undrafted rookie Travis Homer for this game. Travis Homer is from uh, the University of Miami, in case you don't know who he is. Uh, How likely do you think it is that Travis Homer actually uh, gets the lion's share of backfield touches for the Seahawks on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I I think it has to be. I mean, you've got two guys coming in that, you know, may know the system, but, you know, haven't, neither one has played in the past year. I mean, I, I don't know what you can expect out of Lynch and Turbin. Uh, if you can expect anything from them, you got to go with somebody who's been in the system there. And, you know, you also have to be thinking about, you know, on those third downs and uh, when you're you got Russell Wilson dropping back, you've got to have somebody able to step up and under and be able to block in that situation as well, pick up blisters and know that offensive system and understand those blocking schemes. And that's putting a lot on Lynch and Turbin to just step in and be able to keep uh, to play that key role in the passing game as well. Yep. So it looks like the Travis Homer show for the most part on Sunday in that backfield. And what other key matchups are you looking for this game? I looked at the matchup between uh, Ben Garland, the 49ers backup setter in place of the injured Weston Richburg against uh, Puna Ford and Jaron Reed of the Seahawks. And uh, however, the uh, Seahawks are going to be missing Dwayne Brown on Sunday. So that means uh, backup left tackle George Fad's going to see a lot of Nick Bosa. That is for sure, and that, that's going to be uh, a, definitely a big one there. I mean, Dwayne Brown being, oh, oh that's, that's killer for, uh, you know, that, that's probably the, the biggest loss because he's been such a stabilizing force for that offensive line. We remember before Seattle went out and got Dwayne Brown, I mean, you basically had Wilson running for his life out there, and uh, that's, that's definitely a huge matchup. And, of course, I want to see as well is, um, you know, one of the other matchups is, you know, the 49ers secondary there, especially the cornerbacks, Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon, who's come on uh, this season as well, how they handle the the size of DK Metcalf and uh, the speed of Tyler Lockett for Seattle. And, if you know, Russell Wilson can make some big plays for those wide receivers on the outside. That can be uh, a big part of Seattle. Uh, having a chance in this game. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Richard Sherman will tell you that, no, this is just another game for me. I don't think it is. I think he wants revenge on his uh, former team. And uh, whoever he lines up across from, whether it be Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf, I think he sees his fair share of both during the game, depending on the formations uh, they the Seahawks run on offense. Richard Sherman, I think, is looking to make a key game-changing play to make the Seahawks sorry. Exactly. I, I think, he, I mean, you, you just know the psychology of Richard Sherman as long as he's been in the league and he's always been willing to, to speak his mind. You know he's been up for this game, you know, since the last time these two teams met. 
he's had this game circled. He's ready to face Seattle, and he wants to show them, you know, the mistake that they made in letting him go. Yep, and who do you have winning this pivotal Sunday night football matchup in Seattle, Hal? You know, I like I said, it, it's very hard to bet against Russell Wilson, but I think it's just so much attrition for Seattle. I have to, to go with the 49ers on this one. Um, I think it'll be close, and the 49ers will pull it out at the end, 27-20 to 20 over the Seahawks. There's the simpatico alert. We're simpatico uh-huh. at arguably the biggest NFL regular season game of 2019. It is hard to bet against Russell Wilson. I think uh, he does all he can to help the Seahawks win this game on Sunday night. But not only is there too much attrition, this is what worries me even more. The Seahawks coaching staff, specifically offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer, way too many times this season in the most critical situations, has taken the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. He's done that all season, and I don't know how you can trust him to not make that mistake again. I just don't, and that will play a role, plus the attrition, and it's going to be close. But keep in mind, this 49ers team only lost by a last-second overtime field goal to the Seahawks when they were without George Kittle, and now they have George Kittle back. That's the difference this time. 49ers 27, Seahawks a little bit higher than your prediction, 24. And now let's take a look at the rest of these Week 17 games, starting at Arrowhead, where the Kansas City Chiefs still alive for a first-round bye. Play goes to the Chargers in what could be Phillip Rivers' final game as a Charger. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. I think Kansas City is going to come out, um, just blow the doors off the Chargers in this one. Uh, I don't even think it's going to be close. Uh, Kansas City is, you know, clicking on both sides of the ball, the offense. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, what more do you need to say about that? But the defense in Kansas City continues to carry this team. Um, like I said, I think it's going to be a blowout. I have it 37 to 10, Kansas City over the Chargers. We're pretty much sympathetical there. Boop, 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 boop. There's the sympathetical alert. I have the Chiefs winning 35-14, to 14, and you just explained exactly why. The Miami Dolphins travel to New England to take on the Patriots, and the Patriots, if they win this game, they get a first-round bye. I think they win this game, no problem. Uh, give me Patriots 31, Dolphins 10. Yeah, I'm pretty close on that as well. I think the Dolphins, uh, it's not going to be any 43 to nothing this time around. But, um, you know, one of the interesting things we saw in the, the Nick Saban, Bill Belichick special was them talking about how they love to have their assistant coaches and see them go up and become head coaches. And then Belichick threw in the disclaimer, as long as they're not taking all your assistant coaches with you. And uh, this just happened to be, Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores gutted the defensive coaching staff of the New England Patriots on his way out the door to Miami. And as we saw in that first matchup, uh, the Patriots were throwing the ball deep even in the last two minutes of that game. Uh, Belichick, I think, was clearly trying to run up the score on Brian Flores. I think uh, Miami is such a better team than they were at week two, but New England still takes it 27-13. to 13. The Buffalo Bills, firmly locked into that fifth overall playoff spot, host the New York Jets on Sunday afternoon. While the Bills, uh, they might want to rest some of those guys uh, at some point in the game. The Jets, 
they might not want to potentially play themselves out of position to get one of the draft's top uh, offensive tackle or wide receiver prospects to help Sam Darnold. So this is a coin flip for me. Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people expect. But uh, at the same time, like I said, I think for, for Buffalo, you've got a way, um, you know, keeping everybody rested and healthy. Um, against momentum at the same time. And, and, and they kind of thudded against New England last week in what was probably the biggest AFC, uh, AFC East game of the decade, probably. Um, so for Buffalo, I think they're going to have to try. They're going to keep those starters out into the third quarter and should, run, uh, should have a fairly easy time against the Jets and win 20 to 10. I'm not sure if this is an upset special, but with the Bills resting some of their stars, which is possible, uh, let's say they're up 17-3, to I could see Sam Darnold uh, scoring 17 unanswered uh, to come back and win that game, and that's how it goes. Jets 20, Bills 17. The Browns and that dumpster fire taking on the Bagels in the Battle of Ohio to close out 2019. And uh, Browns fans, I think a lot of Browns fans are hoping that they uh, fall flat on their faces because they want Freddie Kitchens out. I agree. I, I, I think there's a lot of Cleveland people who, uh, Cleveland fans who have seen enough of the Freddie Kitchens nightmare that's been going on. And, uh, you know, for Cincinnati, I think they showed a lot, last, uh, you know, against Miami as well with that, that miraculous comeback to, to send the game into overtime, even though they ended up losing that game. Um, they fought strong, and they, they gave the Browns a, a game just a couple of weeks ago as well in Cleveland. So, yeah, I don't know if it qualifies as an upset special, but I've got Cincinnati winning this game. They're locked into the number one seed. They've got nothing to lose. Cincinnati, 26-20 to 20 over Cleveland. Sound that simpatico word, Hal. Can I hear it? I'm right. We are on this week. My goodness. Oh, we are. I like the Cincinnati Bagels, too. The Browns have quit on Freddie Kitchens. They've absolutely quit on him. Like, the, how that first half against the Ravens ended is case in point. They, like, uh, opened up a little lead early, but then they just let the Ravens uh, ram it down their throats in the for two scoring drives in, like, the final two minutes, just, uh, just showing... Uh, Freddie Kitchens, all right, we're done with you. And I think they stay in that mode and, and scream at Jimmy Haslam and John Dorsey to fire this guy's butt right now or else I'm going to leave town. So uh, I have the Bagels winning this game. We'll say they win by a final score of 31-24. to Let's call it 31-24. The Green Bay Packers uh, travel to Ford Field to take out uh, the Injury plague, Detroit Lions. Uh, Lions fans uh, cannot wait to get the season over. They have absolutely been crushed by injuries. And had Matthew Stafford uh, been healthy throughout the season, he could have had the best season of his career. But um, what could have been, uh, we'll never know. But the Packers are assured a first-round bye if they win here at Ford Field on Sunday. I think they should have no problem getting it. Do you? No, no worries at all with that. I think the Packers... Um, win pretty handily in this game um, for Detroit as well. At this point of the season, you know, obviously, yeah, you want to, you know, knock Green Bay out of the chance to get the number one overall seed. But at the same time as well for Detroit, you want to keep yourself uh, as hot, 
close to the top of the draft as well. There's no reason to go all out and win this one. Green Bay, 31-20 over the line. The Chicago Bears, eliminated from the playoffs, travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings, who are locked for good into that sixth seed in the NFC. And the Vikings, uh, Dalvin Cook is not going to play, and you can expect Kirk Cousins and others to be rested fairly early in this game, if not not play a snap at all. And I kind of am leaning towards the Bears by a field goal of this one for that reason alone. Yeah, I uh, found that simpatico alert, David. <laughs> I picked uh, on you this week. I've got the Bears winning by a field goal for that same reason. Minnesota is going to rest and recover and get ready for that uh, playoff, see who lands in the number three uh, seed that, where they're going to travel, and Chicago taking it 23-20 to 20 over the Vikings. I got a 20-17 to 17 Bears. And the Atlanta Falcons, who have uh, retained head coach Dan Quinn for 2020, travel to Tampa to take uh, the t- Buccaneers at this game is going to be pretty interesting. I could see it going either way, but at the end of the day, Jameis minus Mike Evans and Chris Godwin again. Uh, he showed you last week he threw four interceptions. I think he uh, posts a very similar result this week, believe it or not, against that uh, Falcons defense, lacking his top two playmakers on offense. And the Falcons are able to squeak out a 31-24 to victory to finish 6-2 and on the season. Hell, you there? Hell, you there? Hell, are you there? David, I lost you there, I think. Are Whoa. you there? Yeah, I am there. Oh, okay, good. You, you, I heard it. I think Davis is going to admit all of a sudden I didn't hear anything. Oh yeah, I said that. Uh, I said that Jameis uh, throws several interceptions again, and the Falcons win thirty-one twenty-four. Yeah, uh, I, I'm thinking uh, Jameis is going to get to those uh, thirty interceptions as well this season. But um, I still think, you know, going to be one of those typical games with a bunch of interceptions and a bunch of touchdowns. And I have Tampa Bay winning in overtime, thirty-four twenty-eight over Atlanta. Yeah, like I said, this game could go either way. The New Orleans Saints, uh, should they win uh, at Carolina on Sunday, they would at least temporarily be slotted into a first-round bye unless the 40, if the 49ers lose, they'll be locked into that bye. Uh, so uh, the Saints have a lot to play for regardless, and I think they should put themselves into position to at least uh, clinch a bye by the end of the day with a rather easy win. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way as well. I think uh, New Orleans should have a pretty easy time of it against Carolina. They still got positioning to play for. So I have New Orleans 27-16 to 16, uh, over Carolina. And now to the afternoon games. The Dallas Cowboys, they need a win and an Eagles loss to make it to the playoffs. And arguably the biggest disappointment of the team this year is the Cowboys, as you said early on in the program, Hal. I actually see the Cowboys winning this game, but I think it's much closer than what the spread indicates. The Cowboys are favored by 11 points. They win, but I think they only win by three, 24 to 21. Yeah, I mean, I've got the Cowboys winning as well this week. Um, You know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, such a talented team, but, but Washington, yeah. Washington as well, they should be thinking about where they're going to be 
uh, picking in the draft and not worrying about trying to upset Dallas here. Um, I've got Dallas winning it handily uh, 24 to 10. And now that other game that the Cowboys are dependent on, the Eagles, with a win and they are in, travel to MetLife Stadium to take on our man Steely Dan and the New York Giants. And believe it or not, if there is an upset special this week, I'm going with this one here. The Eagles are not going to have Zach Ertz in this game. They're not going to have Lane Johnson in this game. They're obviously down Alshaw Jeffrey and Deshaw Jackson and Nelson Aguilar. So outside of Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard, and uh, now you got Greg Lewis, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Dallas Goddard, and the Giants played the game they did last week, and, and the Eagles' defense even more banged up in the secondary. I am going with the New York Giants as my upset special of Week 17 to beat the Philadelphia Eagles 31-28. to Man, I, I'm telling you, David, I, I feel like I must have uh, seen your predictions or something here. I don't know what's going on, but uh, I also have the Giants beating Philadelphia and the Eagles somehow throwing up their playoff chances here. I've got the Giants winning 38-35, to 35, and I'll go into more detail in my bold prediction. All right, and we talked about the Arizona Cardinals uh, with that impressive win over the Seahawks last week. They uh, have an opportunity to get some more added momentum uh, headed into the offseason this Sunday against the Rams in Los Angeles. It will be the final game uh, for the Rams at LA Coliseum before they move into beautiful new SoFi Stadium uh, next season. I actually think the Cardinals do win this game. I just uh, like what Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray have done all season long. There have been some rough patches, but they've uh, stuck through and kept improving. And the the Rabs, yes, the Rabs absolutely pummeled the Cardinals last time, but I think the Cardinals are going to want to hit them back, and I think they hit them back rather hard. Yeah, I, I really wanted to pick Arizona in this game. Um, I just think in what could possibly be Wade Phillips' last game as bad as that defense has been the last two weeks. Uh, he somehow gets this defense turned around for this game. Um, I've got it as a close game, but I've got the Rams winning it 28-26 to over Arizona. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts travel to Jacksonville to take out the Jaguars, who we both agree should blow it all up and fire Doug Marone and David Caldwell uh, by next week as well. Uh, and this is a game that the Raiders are going to be watching as well because the Raiders, uh, they need the Titans to lose, they need the Steelers to lose, and they need the Colts to beat the Jaguars in order to sneak into the playoffs in what could be their final week as the Oakland Raiders. I think they get help here. Uh, the Jaguars have uh, pretty much mailed it in, and the Colts uh, played very hard last week against a similarly flawed opponent, and I think they win pretty easily, let's say 34-14. to 14. Yeah, I, I agree when it is, but it's kind of a toss-up kind of game. I'm going to lean towards the head coaching here. And I think, um, you know, the Colts feeling like, you know, if we can get this back to 500, we kind of rescue what looks like, you know, I mean, you, you remember at one point this team was 5-2, and two and it was kind of like, well, wait a minute, they may just have enough. And another team that, that's had so many injuries and uh, – I think the Colts, yeah, help out the Raiders here as well. I've got them winning 29-20 to over Jacksonville. 
And speaking of the Raiders, they travel to Denver to take on the Broncos in what could be their last game as the Oakland Raiders. I wanted to pick the Raiders by a comfortable margin in this game, but here's the problem. A, they're not going to have Josh Jacobs, the Offensive Rookie of the Year, with them. Uh, and he was arguably the centerpiece of their offense this entire season. And B, the temperature is going to be sub-40 degrees. And Derek Carr is winless in sub-40 degree temperature games. This game is going to be close. I still have the Raiders winning 20-17 to 17, uh, because I think they're going to have added emotion because it could be their final game as the Oakland Raiders. And they have more on the line than the Broncos do. But... The Broncos are going to make it much harder on them than many people think. 2017 Raiders, but uh, I'm not going to be surprised if it goes the other way. Yeah, uh, you know, I think Denver will, you know, it's going to be a tough one for Oakland. I still think they'll find a way to, to pull this out. I'm I'm pulling for Oakland to make this the playoffs here. So if everything can fall into place for them, I'd love to see that in their final season of Oakland. Uh, I've got them winning 27 to 16 over Denver. Oh, yes, yeah, so and that would be actually the uh, it, it's a win-win for the Broncos. Uh, you feel good headed into the offseason if you knock the Raiders out of the playoffs, but if you lose, you get a bite at a, a potentially outstanding wide receiver or offensive tackle. Exactly, and for Denver, right? You've got to start thinking about the the draft this offseason, and you know there's a. There's a lot of variance on where Denver can end up in the draft, and finishing six and ten instead of seven and nine um, can give them is a, can be the difference between um, you know getting an absolute stud playmaker or just missing out on that guy. Oh, you said it, Ed, which is why I have mixed feelings about this game, and I rarely have mixed feelings about Raiders-Broncos games. And you got the Steelers and the Duck back at quarterback. The Duck was yanked for Mason Rudolph, but Mason Rudolph got hurt again, so it's back to the Duck with Paxton Lynch, former Denver Bronco and first-round bust as his backup, traveling to Baltimore to take out the Ravens reserves. I actually think the Ravens reserves are better than the Steelers' current offense right now they're not going to have james connor and that is going to hurt them badly and uh, you can't trust duck to take care of the football and i think they come out with a simplified game plan for rg3 to play efficient football i actually have the ravens winning this one 2017 yeah uh, i've got the ravens winning this one and i don't even think it's going to be that close i thought the the pittsburgh offense has just um you know uh I mean, these last two weeks, I mean, the Bills, you could excuse it because of that defense, but last week against the Jets, that was just a terrible offensive performance. Uh, They weren't moving the ball with either quarterback, with the running game, nothing. I don't think that's going to work. Baltimore should have an easy time, even with their reserves in 24-13 to over the Steelers. And last but not least, the Tennessee Titans who control their own destiny for the sixth and final AFC playoff spot. With a win over the Texans, they are in no matter what happens to the Steelers and the Raiders on Sunday. The Titans uh, are going to face a Texans team that wants to go all in and win, even though they pretty much have nothing to play for except for maybe the three seed, uh, potentially avoid the Bills. But the Texans, uh, they might want to avoid the Titans as well and uh, because when the Titans are hot they could beat anybody and that's why I think the Texans are going all in to play their starters here yeah I I I think for the Texans too I mean you know even if they're not you know even if Kansas City comes out and win and that three seed is gone um, they're still 
you know, you don't want to take your foot off the pedal this late in the season. I think the Texans have to go out and have to play to win and be ready to go that next week. Uh, no doubt about that. And like you said, you know, when it's in that division as well, um, you know, there's no love loss between Houston and Tennessee. I think those players in the Houston locker room would love to send the Tennessee Titans home for the season here in Week 17. Especially since the Titans were the team that left Houston and broke so many hearts about 20 or so years ago. Exactly. So that fan base is going to be ready and rocking. They most certainly are. I have the Texans winning this game. Uh, they, I believe they win 27-17, uh, to 17, I believe. I think uh, they're going to start out fast, and that is going to afford them to start resting their starters midway through the third quarter. Uh, Texans win 27-17. Yeah, I don't even have it that close. I've got Houston winning it pretty handily, 30-10 uh, to 10 over the Titans. And oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh. Oh, yeah, things look pretty good for the Oakland Raiders based on my picks. Uh-oh. Uh, based on my picks as well. So both of us are <laughs> betting on the Raiders sneaking into the playoffs and playing at least one more week as the Oakland Raiders. So boop, 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 there's our sympathetical alert again. And now we go to bold predictions. And why don't you go first, Tell What is your bold prediction for Week 17? Uh, you know, uh, you and I, Steely Dan here, uh, what a great game he had last season, uh, last week, 350 yards passing, five touchdowns, uh, 28 completions. I'm going to say against Philadelphia in that suspect secondary, uh, he finishes strong again, 30 completions, 400 yards passing, and five more touchdown passes as he knocks the Eagles out of the playoffs. Ooh, that is a bold prediction, and I'm not sure if this one is bold, but uh, you be the judge. Chandler Jones sets the single-season sack record by sacking Jared Goff, not four, not five, but six times. Chandler Jones will finish two sacks ahead of Michael Strahan for the all-time single-season sack record. That is my bold prediction. That is bold. Six sacks is a bold prediction. I'm looking forward to see if Chandler Jones will be teeing off uh, from that defensive end position. I'm sure he will. And last but not least, our challenge flags for Week 17. Hal, why don't you go first again? Uh, I think mine, you you saw my picks. I think mine's pretty obvious here. Uh, John Gruden, Oakland Raiders. You know, we're trying to line things up for you. Go in, take care of business in Denver. Let the chips fall where they may. Ravens, Texans, Colts, Chiefs, Patriots winning. That puts you in the playoffs. Sixth seed, final season in Oakland. Playoff gods, make it happen for the Raiders. John Gruden, the challenge is to you. Don't drop the ball and fumble here right when you get to the end zone. And my challenge goes to the 49ers Seahawks game. I had this game penciled on my calendar for weeks, if not months now. I had a feeling that a lot in the NFC playoff picture would ride on this week's 17th game, and it's rightfully been flexed into prime time because a lot of it does depend on it. 
And so my challenge is to both the 49ers and Seahawks, live up to the hype, play the best game of your careers, give us a game for us all to remember for ages to conclude the 100th regular season of NFL play. And he is Hale Bent, ladies and gentlemen, from FullPressCoverage.com. And if you're a Patriots fan, you can also read his work at MusketFire.com. And you can catch him on Twitter at HalBent01. And Hal, thank you very much. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next decade, which is next week, <laughs> to preview the wild card <laughs> playoff weekend and digest the latest news and notes from around the NFL. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at SportsCrunch.com. And remember, there's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bent, this is David Cromo saying so long, stay awesome, and Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year.